Tonight on the Fanatic Forum, we're going to have a little bit of movie appreciation night. We're going to pick some old stuff, talk about it, uh, explore some of our favorites here with my guest, the junior fanatic, Seth Moore. But first, we got to explore a little bit of this. everybody happy friday the 13th <laughs> hope y'all are doing well out there and um uh, you know digital land i can't always say tv land or wherever else <laughs> anyway hope everybody's had a good week so far thank you for joining the fanatic forum uh if you've never joined us before on the show um my name is george and i basically am a lifelong comic book fan movies tv pro wrestling video games all things geek so I love sharing the things that I love with you guys, and I love that you all share it with me as well. You give me your topics, your opinions on things, your questions, whatever else. Love it all. So everybody's welcome here at the forum. Uh, so yeah, come on down and yeah, we'll we'll have to, you know, we'll, we'll discuss all things geek here. Uh, but anywho, so <laughs> I got a couple of buddies on here already. Give me make you chuckle. So we'll get to that in just a second here. But first, we got to bring on my brother from another mother, my junior fanatic, Mr. Seth Moore, sir. Good to see you. Hello. Good to be back again, actually, in here this time because I, I had technical difficulties last time <laughs> and couldn't make it. I know. But, yeah. We, we couldn't hear your wonderful voice. You know? Yeah. My yeah. stupid laptop. But anyway, I'm, I'm here now and I'm ready and I'm excited and I'm hyped. Nice. Yes. Yeah, we got good stuff to talk about here. Uh, and Dave Mangley's on here saying that he's got to dig up his old copy of Saturday the 14th. Yep. I haven't seen <laughs> right. that in a long time. That's a good call back there. Oh, and I'm a rare, valuable vintage. Oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very good plus uh, if I'm graded, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a near mint. So, yeah. I want to go with very good plus. Yeah, because you have that like that respectable patina about you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, yeah, I like yeah. patina. That's a good word there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm seventy. You know, I was born in seventy six, so I am Bronze Age. So you know. Yeah. There you go. It works. It works. Yeah. It's character. <laughs> yeah. So how you doing, sir? Oh, I can't complain. I'm sitting here, ready. Got done with the work week. Ready to get started with uh, a long holiday week and. Yeah, nice. just gonna kick back, relax. Hopefully, gonna watch some movies, get read some read some books, play some games. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm excited to just mellow out for a couple of days. But nice, yeah. What are you playing right now? Uh, right now, I'm actually playing Diablo three again. I got it oh, with cool. uh, yeah, I got it with a bundle. It was actually so I could play Diablo two, but uh, the remaster, which is all nice and everything, but then I just went back to Diablo three and just started playing that again because it's just really addictive and. You can just, yeah, do whatever with it. Nice. I, I, I keep getting stuck on um, uh, WB2K22. I just like, I was like, I'm going to move on to other games, whatnot, but then I just play that game constantly. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm also working on the the last of the uh, the Dark Pictures uh, series, the uh, the Devil in Me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, working on that one right now. And of course, yeah, the other night I was playing my, on my Raspberry Pi, playing some old school Nintendo games. So, yeah. Right on. There you go. There you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I have dabbled with the new Witcher update, too. Just a oh, bit. Okay. With the, yeah. The next gen thing, which is very, very pretty and very intimidating to get back into that game again because that is a long freaking game. <laughs> but. Oh, yeah. so, uh, yeah, of course, we, uh, anybody knows that we are wrestling fans. So there's yes. a lot of stuff going on. There is some craziness going on. I, yeah, that, uh, unprecedented stuff, stuff that I'd never thought we'd see in our lifetimes, to be yeah. honest. And but, just to let anybody know if you've, you know, not heard the news or, you know, 
whatever else. Uh, Vince McMahon has returned to the WWE after his ousting earlier uh, last year. Um, and basically, it's to sell the company. That's really the sole reason he's kind of come back. There are lots of potential buyers, lots of suitors uh, out there, uh, all uh, nipping at the heels, making their little offers. But, uh, of course, the big one that everybody was panicking over, uh, and, you know, he had a lot of news stories and had to, you know, we had to actually have journalists take time to debunk the story here, was that the deal to sell it to Saudi Arabia and their media conglomerate was a done deal. That basically yes. it was going to be owned by the Saudis, and there you go. Okay, so just to put it into context, Vince went Sergeant Slaughter in the mid-90s and turned his back on America and <laughs> went, with the, went with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So, see, and you know, and it works because of Vince with the whole patriotism for so long and then finally just turned it ultra heel. You know, wow. there's, there, you can't get any worse than that. But this is a storyline come to life. Like Vince just coming back from nowhere to to, to he comes out wearing the beige uniform and the beret. Yes. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought of. It's just he's doing the Sergeant Slaughter heel turn in real life. I know I was talking to a few different folks about this and they were kind of, you know, concerned about it. I was like, Oh man, if they, they sell the Saudis then I'm not going to watch anymore. It's like, dude, dude. Yeah. It's like, think, think about it. It's like, yes, the Saudis, you know, would throw stupid money, stupid money at this thing. Way pay way more than they should, but there's no way that even with, you know, you offered 20 kajillion dollars. Vince is not going to sell his legacy to basically a country and a company that would essentially polarize this brand to more than half the world. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, most anybody in the states is like, well, I'm not watching anymore. Uh, any Jewish countries, they're not going to watch anymore. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's over. You know, uh, anybody that uh, you know, any former Muslims, uh, they nope, 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 not anymore. Nope. Yeah, yeah. There's people in their own company that wouldn't work for him anymore. Yeah, MV, yeah, MVP is going to leave immediately. Yeah, so, or, you know, upon pain of death. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, yeah. There, there's all that stuff going on, and then of course Stephanie stepping down, which yeah. stepping down didn't really surprise me, but there's been more stuff come out. Like just recently today, like ooh, maybe he like her yeah. stepping down was, you know, it, it was maybe sour. So yeah, stuff about like her and Vince not getting along at all, and then her mm-hmm. uh, Triple H and Vince like having to have, like Nick Khan mediating between them, like a lot of yeah. go betweens between Vince and other people, and it's just I'm I. I, I, I guess I don't understand how his mind works. Like how he, he's got to realize he's alienating so many people. Like, I and, and I just, that he treats his family in such a way also kind of, I, I just can't fathom. Like it, the gears don't turn that way for me, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, I yeah, long yeah. heard Vince was a psychopath and I, you can't understand what a, the way a psychopath thinks, but. I mean, and the thing is, like, this is his baby. You know, it's like, yeah, sure, yeah. Stephanie's his daughter or whatnot, but it's like, but this came first. <laughs> right. You know, and, and Stephanie's not worth $10 billion, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah. And then uh, did you see the and one thing I want to talk about, though, is the is the value that I have heard that people are kind of estimating WWE to be at versus what they're trying to sell it for. Right, and I'm seeing like some people are saying that it could sell between one or eight point one and eight point three billion, mm-hmm. or uh, or yeah, something like that. And Vince wants like one point or eight point five or something crazy stupid. Yeah, but just eight, the, the eight billion is what I'm trying to focus on. But just the idea, Disney bought Star Wars for four billion dollars, and okay. WWE is double what. Disney paid for Star. Yeah, I mean, like, there's time and inflation difference and all that, but still, just yeah, I'm very surprised that it's that much, to be honest. Well, and then but, you know, I, I guess you know, if you're ever talking about the library and the merchandising, not just, of course, like the live angle. Yeah. Else, but there, there's a lot to that. Uh, there's a lot to the international markets that they also touch. Uh, but yeah, yeah you're, you're right. right, you're it, right. It, it, it is a huge, huge number, though, and especially at a time when wrestling's down across the board. 
Yeah. Down in both WWE and AEW. Ratings are down in both companies. So, you know, wrestling's not a th- as big of a thing right now. That being said, though, uh, WrestleMania, you know, taking place in Los Angeles this year, was it 39? Yeah, WrestleMania 39. Uh, it's like, it's months away and it's close to a sellout. Yeah. And there hasn't been a single match announced yet. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it is. It is one of those big brands. Yeah, that's the other thing that like my mom and I would always talk about with WWE. You'd you know, it's one of the biggest brands that you recognize on earth. Uh, you know, you, there's people in the stands all the time on TV, yet no one admits to watching it. Right. And you know, yeah, and I'm, there's people like us, obviously, that you know love the stuff and just talk about it all the time. But hey, other people are watching it and just not talking about it. And so it's, yeah, I guess it does make more sense that it's one of those larger globally recognized brands. Yeah. 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 I mean, when people think wrestling, that's what they think. So, yeah. But, you know, wrestling fans, they, you know, they go a little bit deeper. You know, you have multiple companies to choose from in multiple countries. But, you know, if you're just kind of, you know, just you want brand, you know, if you enjoy when you think soda, you drink Coca-Cola. When you want a cheeseburger, you go to McDonald's. When you want wrestling, WWE. Right, right. So it's just kind of come become synonymous with that. So, but yeah, I just I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that because like it's just it's it's mind boggling. You know, you you said before you know we got on the air. It's like it, this is more interesting than the stuff on TV right now. Yeah, yeah, it's like any like don't get me wrong. It's like I love Sammy Zayn and you know the the whole bloodline thing. Like that's fun right now, but it, yeah, it doesn't hold yeah. a candle to to what's going on behind the scenes. Like I I want the dirt sheet stuff like. Especially since some of these people were wrestlers that were involved in it, <laughs> that are now like doing like business decisions behind the scenes, like Triple H. Like, just, it, I, I have trouble seeing him in a suit making like trying to do board meeting things or mm-hmm. you know run a company. Which, but he's done it, you know, or well, sort of, I guess. I don't know, but he's had that office position, and I just I still tr- have trouble picturing him in it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's these are odd times for sure. I mean, we're we're getting more news information, reading like the financial reports. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where some of these stories are breaking. It's crazy. So, yeah. Oh, uh, we got to say we got Rick and S. A couple of other folks went here. Willow saying hello. Hey, Willow. Hello, hello. Our our uh, our, our resident uh, Canadian host or hostess, I should say. So. Yeah, she's she's in God's country there in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Ah, yeah, there you go. All right. So as always on the forum, we've got some comics to show off here. So I got a few books this week. Let's see what you got. All right. So I got a couple selections from Marvel here. Um, our first number one got a little bit of a throwback action here. So this is Avengers: War Across Time. Uh, Paul Levitz is the writer. Alan Davis, uh, obviously, does the cover and interior art uh this is a fun kind of like throwback between the cracks book because this literally takes place after uh avengers number 11 which is the first time they tangle with kang okay yeah so basically you got an old school avengers team here we're basically dealing with kang um basically kang uh has is manipulating the hulk uh you can see here yeah. So actually, well, it basically, what it's not really he's manipulating the Hulk. It's that if you remember in Avengers 11, uh, Kang created a robot Spider Man that you know basically fought the Avengers, and so Avengers thought that Spider Man was a bad guy, and it turned out it was a robotic, you know, a robot, you know, you know, Kang thing there. So, yeah, it, basically, we're doing the same thing here, except he's not even made a robot Hulk. So, okay, <laughs> but yeah, but I'll definitely, I'm sorry. I, I want to point out that when you were holding the comic book up, it matched your poster somewhat. Whenever you were, you had to like totally lined up almost the right way, just to whatever. Yeah, it was a neat effect, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, so I'm not sure how many issues this runs here, but yeah, I you know if you want a good old fashioned Avengers throwback, or you're kind of like I don't really like the way they do the Avengers comics now. Why don't they do them the way they used to? That's right the way here, they folks. used to. This is literally the way they used to do it. It's even was this even actually approved by the comics code? Uh yes. Yeah. Right. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I saw the stamp up in the corner there. Oh, actually, no, it isn't. I just oh. noticed that. It's approved by the TVA. Oh wow. 
the time variance <laughs> authority. Okay. Not, I, hey, I, I like the attention to detail, though, that it was there to look like that. I did not notice that. Good catch, though, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Nice. Uh, next uh, book I want to talk about. I've been really enjoying the Benjamin Percy Ghost Rider series here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let me put myself up full here. Sorry, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to cut you out in a second. No, you're cool. Uh, but yeah, this is probably my favorite issue of the run. This is issue 10. Uh, Ghost Rider is tangling with the uh, newer villain, Exhaust, which basically was literally a demon that was had possessed Ghost Rider. And so now he's kind of taking his own form here, kind of as Ghost Rider's shadow, so to speak. Okay. So yeah, these two guys get to tangle together. Things develop further uh, in Blackheart's plan that he's basically, Blackheart's been kind of, you know, messing with Ghost Rider since issue one. Um, and there's kind of a, a, a greater conspiracy that uh, Blackheart's trying to perpetuate here. So Okay. Yeah. Like I said, it's easily my favorite issue of the book uh, so far. So <laughs> Dave said that here the uh, the uh, book the previous book was approved by the TVA and Mobius M. Mobius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he agreed. That. Yeah, I gave the 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 comic combo was a, a 3D effect. <laughs> 3D. <Yeah. laughs> uh, for our DC fans, got a couple here. So hot off the heels of uh, Dark Crisis just ending here, we now have DC Universe Lazarus Planets. And this is the alpha issue of that. Uh, this is kicking off the events of Batman versus Robin number four. Uh, they were on Rayshad Ghoul's island. Uh, Batman and Damien were fighting. Uh, basically, there was kind of... Uh, somewhat of an explosion. Somebody was trying to destroy the Lazarus pits, and in doing so... A volcano has erupted, some sort of uh, demon named uh, the Fireball or something like that uh, came out of this uh, uh, you know, volcano, and now there's all these like Lazarus storms blanketing the Earth. And so it's starting to affect basically anybody that's a tech-oriented hero. It's affecting anybody that's a magic-oriented hero. It's making people sick or it's freaking them out. It, they're, they're, these, these storms are just wreaking havoc across the world. Um, and also Batman is kind of like, he got really messed up in the fight with Damien. So Batman is like kind of barely hanging on in this issue. And um, some bad guy takes advantage of that. We'll just say that. Hmm. So, yeah, but it's kind of an interesting start, but yeah, it's kind of, a, it's, it's a weird story. It's like, okay, so there's a lot of like, Weird magic stuff going on, and tech people there, you know, like Cyborg is there with them, and none of his stuff's working right. And Blue Beetle's alien tech is all kind of wonky, too. So it's kind of you got a, a bit of an interesting team there. A lot of magic users and tech users all kind of banding together, and they're all getting messed up. So, yeah. hmm. <clears throat> uh, next DC book here this is issue two of Danger Street. Uh, this is done by Tom King and Javier Fornes. Uh, this is really cool because. Uh, this whole series is resurrecting a lot of like obscure uh, DC heroes. Like basically, if you remember the uh, DC first issue special series, where like each book was a first issue introducing a new hero or team or whatever else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, this book single handedly resurrects uh, the Dingbats from Danger Street, the Green <laughs> Team, Lady Cop. The original Starman, you know, the blue skin guy with the trident. Right. Uh, and then, of course, we've got a little bit of uh, Warlord, Metamorpho, the original Manhunter. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Atlas from the uh, the New Gods is also involved in this storyline. Uh, the Helmet of Fate, even though Dr. Fate's not attached to it. Um, and, of course, uh, Darkseid himself. So... All kinds of a mixture of like known people and then a lot of like really obscure people. And like, how do a bunch of kids and a bunch of weird heroes all mesh together? And it's starting to already kind of come together. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a weird here. It, it's a weird uh, story, but I'm really digging it because I like when they, you know, bust out weird, obscure folks we haven't seen in a while. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Tom, Tom King, you know, Tom King made Kite Man relevant. <laughs> you know, Hell yeah. yeah. So, yeah, let's not forget that. 
Oh, hey. <laughs> Old Pops in here. How you doing, Dad? <laughs> uh, Dave Manley says, always love Metamorpho. Yeah. Uh, he, I guess he took a break for the second issue, but he was definitely in the first issue of Danger Street. But he's involved in the storyline, so I'm sure we will see him again. Uh, and a trio of indies here. Uh, one book I wanted to get this week, but uh, for some reason the distributor didn't get it to us in time, so hopefully I'll have that for next week. Uh, but the long-awaited Nemesis sequel from Mark Millar has finally come out. So Nemesis Reloaded, the first issue is out. So, And that's basically, the best way to put that is uh, evil Batman with guns, and if you mix David Fincher's The Game in with that. Okay. So, yeah, but it was one of my favorite Mark Millar stories. Ultra violence, ultra dark, um, and but it fell under his media banner that basically, you know, when he makes one, you know, uh, you know, one storyline, then he has to wait for that story to be turned into a movie or TV show before he can do a sequel. And then that thing was in development hell to the point where that, you know, the rights kind of just, you know, detracted off that and he was able to do a sequel again. <laughs> wow, that's... It's his own fault. It's his, it was his own Yeah. Brain. Wow. So, I don't know. I don't know. But he's got his Netflix deal, so hopefully maybe we'll see a, a, you know, a Nemesis series or movie uh, from Netflix because, yeah, it's, it's awesome. But anyway, but I did have some other indies here. Uh, so this is Dark Ride number four from Image. Uh, this is essentially a family that has kind of like, if you basically did the uh, horror evil version of Disneyland, Oh, uh, but there's I think it's called like Hell World or something like that. But basically, you got a family that's running things behind the scenes here. They're very dysfunctional. But also the children are kind of figuring out that possibly there's some very supernatural things going on that may be controlling the park, affecting the park's success or failures. And, you know, maybe a little bit more on the murderous side, too. So, uh, yeah. But Josh Williamson does this one here. I love his stuff, especially when he gets in the horror thing. Like Nailbiter was a great series. So uh, issue four ends the first uh, uh, kind of the story arc. And so when issue five comes out, I think in April, it uh, starts a whole new arc. So we get a little, little bit of a break for that. But yeah, some cool stuff there. Uh, another awesome horror series here. 10,000 Black Feathers. Uh, this is, of course, part of the Bone Orchard mythos. Uh, coming to you from the creative team of Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, issue five uh, ends this storyline here. Uh, basically, a woman who kind of like left her small town under mysterious circumstances has to come back because um, her best friend has gone missing. And possibly where she's turned up is the mystical realm the two of them created when they were teenagers. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of it definitely, you know, if you're a fan of the uh, the image series Die, kind of a little bit of a parallel there, but of course. Yeah, that's kind of Wait, what I, yeah. No, no, no. That's just kind of, it's kind of what I was thinking whenever you were describing it. It sounds a little bit like Die. Yeah, but honestly, you know, from, you know, Andrea Sorrentino's artwork and Jeff Lemire, things are going to get a little more psychedelic here, a little weirder. Right. But yeah. Love their stuff there. Of course, there's a lot more stuff coming uh, in the you know the coming months and years from the Bone Orchard Mythos. So, if you know they've had three releases so far, there was the single book that came out for Free Comic Book Day last year. <clears throat> uh, there was the hardcover uh, graphic novel, The Passageway, and then now this is the third thing to come out from the Bone Orchard. So you can start to see little connections here and there, but. You know, nothing 100% just yet. You know, nothing is like, oh, okay, I recognize that from that thing or whatever, you know, so. Yeah. But yeah, so it, but it's still, it's just very creepy, very psychological uh, kind of horror, but, you know, still, they still have the creepy, you know, demonic things or kill, people getting murdered and killed and whatever else, but it's it's a little more of the, uh, the, the mature adult sort of, you know, high-end kind of horror, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, this one needs no further introduction. From uh, American Mythology Productions here, this is Night of the Living Dead Revanche. Uh, this, of course, for Dead fans, is a must-have series. This is the second issue. This is essentially kind of filling out the blanks and giving a little more meat to Night of the Living Dead. You meet the principal characters 
before they all end up at the farmhouse. Um, you know, you get to spend a little more time with Barbara and her brother. You see Ben kind of come into town before he even gets to the farmhouse. You see who owns the farmhouse. Um, you see like the family, you know, with the daughter before she gets bit and they're all attacked. You know, the ones that, you know, stay in the basement, the, the, the a-hole dad. Yeah, yeah. You, you see everybody kind of before they get in there. You see some of the other townspeople, like the sheriff, you know, the guy in the hat says, you know, they're all dead. They're all messed up. Yeah. You see all these people. You start to see kind of like, you know, the, the slow rumbling of the zombie breakout as it starts happening initially before things go, you know, huzzah and crazy. Yeah. But yeah, really, really love that. So definitely if you're a fan of Night of the Living Dead, it's a great series to have. Um, actually, I can show you the yeah, the artwork's kind of very cool too. Very kind of you know, a little throwbacky here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this, yeah, here's yeah, here's some more more violent stuff. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. So, th this is basically the uh, the so sheriff. Stopping, this is the sheriff stopping by the farmhouse, uh, because basically, you know, the wife was complaining that the uh. The husband was being a little weird and, you know, wasn't doing anything and whatnot. So then basically the husband attacks the sheriff. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. It's it, like I said, just really cool. It's kind of just totally get, filling out the blanks, you know, of the, uh, you know, of, you know, kind of just the whole movie, you know, and everything before we actually get to, whoops, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to block it. <laughs> no, you're yeah. fine. Uh, you know, get you know a little bit of filling out the blanks before we get to the real action that we know is Night of the Living Dead. So, yeah, so highly, oh, highly recommend checking that one out. Yeah. Anywho, we are going to take a break for just a moment to recognize our sponsors, Comic Books for Kids and the Multiverse Fundraiser, which is next weekend. So, uh, get, get, get your generous uh, fingers uh, out there, folks. Here, we got some donations to make. And you get some cool swag. And then, of course, you get to be involved with some celebrity panels as well. So uh, we're going to take a break for just a minute. And then we get back. It's Vintage Movie Appreciation Night. Woohoo! <laughs> be right back. <laughs> comic Books for Kids provides comic books to kids in hospitals and cancer centers across the U.S. It's a place where we can all work together to make sure every child has a comic book. 100% of all proceeds go towards the kids. It's about making a difference, and while they're in the hospital, allowing them to fly like a superhero, battle dragons, or rescue teddy bears. We are in every state in the country and now support over 160 hospitals. Every month, we add more. Visit CB4K.org. The Multiverse Fundraiser is a virtual fandom jamboree and a charity fundraiser all rolled into one package. We're not just raising funds for a good cause. We're raising fun. Our 2023 events will be supporting the John Ritter Foundation for Aortic Health, which exists to spread awareness of aortic health and prevent unnecessary suffering through genetic research, widespread education, and radical advocacy. Our fundraiser combines celebrity panels, fandom-based panels, indie creators, and all of the fun of a virtual con for free. There's a little something for everyone while we support a cause close to our heart. Join us on January 20th through 22nd, along with celebrity guests Amy Yazbek, Jason Baer, Chris Gaucher, Victor Garber, William Catt, Cress Williams, Beth Broderick, Armin Shimmerman, Guy Gilchrist, Carrie Schaefer, Brian Hull, Amy Carrero, Jennifer Cody, and Joyce DeWitt. All right, and we're back. Woo! So, yeah, so next weekend, folks, uh, the uh, back of the Serial Box Network uh, is going to be pretty busy with a whole bunch of good stuff. So, all right. So now it's time to talk movies here. So, um, what we'll do is uh, I'll kick things off with my first movie here. And so we usually have two uh, that we picked here. So, and, and I like our definition of vintage movies here. Uh, my, <laughs> I, I picked a 70s and an 80s movie, and you picked an 80s and then 2012. So, like, you know, I mean, it, it is an older movie. Yeah, it is. It's it's weird to think that it is, it's 11 years old now. 
But yeah, yeah. But but yeah, yeah we'll so, get to yeah, yeah we'll get to my movie. But we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get to those. Yeah, but yeah. So it's just kind of like it's it's. I like the definition that we had here. So yeah. All right, my first movie here. Uh, one of my all-time favorites here. The subvert. Basically, you know, if Easy Rider was for the subversive motorcycle group here. Vanishing Point was definitely for the uh, subversive muscle car crowd here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, this is basically, you know, yeah, there's a big car, a lot of car chases going on. You see the 1970 White Challenger in all its glory, just roaring down, kicking butt and, you know, you know dodging cop cars and doing all kinds of crazy things there. But at the same time, like, there's a heavy level of, like, you know, you know, damn the man kind of stuff, and you know, you know, yeah. freedom, and you know, you know, lack of oppression. It's, it's a very macho movie, and it, it's yeah, a, it, it's it's a macho movie that is all also like it's a thoughtful macho movie. Yeah, it's it's. I don't. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes ma- the word macho gets kind of derogatory or derogatory spin on it sometimes. But no, it's. There, it was almost a weird nobility with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it was, it was not quite a code of chivalry, but yeah, it, it, was, it was just this weird set of guidelines that was was supposedly to help people be better men or whatever. But yeah, yeah. well, I mean, Kowalski was for the you know, most part a good guy. I mean, you know, yeah, he was, you know, uh, you know, obviously a soldier, and then you know came back and became a cop. And then was ousted from the police force for basically, you know, stopping his partner roughing up a girl, you know, and yeah. maybe you know, possibly taking advantage of her, you know. So, you know, yeah. So he's got all kinds of stuff going on. And then he became a race car driver, and then he's like a speed junkie, like both figuratively and literally. So, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's like he's he, he's definitely had a life, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I love it too. Like it's just Kowalski, no first name, just Kowalski, just Kowalski, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, and I had to grab a, I had to grab the picture here. So that's their, 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 the car in, uh, in question here, the 1970 Dodge Challenger, which of course this was a brand new car when this movie came out, um, which is kind of cool. You, you know, it's not often that, you know, car movies essentially are using contemporary cars. Like even like the Fast and Furious movies, maybe the later stuff, I don't know, uh, you know, but you know, those aren't using like, Brand new, you know, cars you can go out and buy right now at your right. dealership. But this one you could, even though the strange thing was that basically uh, at the time this came out, they were still uh, using a lot of like the '60s crazy colors. You know, your per- your big bright purples and oranges and yellows and your you know your teals and all that kind of stuff like that. So white was not a common color, strangely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is. Such a iconic, you know, I just a absolute iconic, you know, car. It's just, you know, oh yeah, been so many times, whatever else. So, yeah, it's like they're still like homages get paid to it or paid to it, like in the PlayStation Twisted Metal games. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a car based off of the Vanishing Point car that's mm-hmm. in there, and uh, yeah, it just, it's yeah, it. I think it's actually my favorite car movie, my favorite road movie kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, aside from the Mad Max movies, but they're not quite in the same vein. But yeah, that's yeah. Th- those are that's an entirely different genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dad, my dad said he's already vintage. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, then, I love no, your and, dad. <laughs> and that that was his white horse there, the the Kowalski's car there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely was. So yeah, and uh, learned like some behind the scenes stuff there. Like they had a total of eight cars for the movie that they you know, used throughout various times. Of course, if you've seen the movie, spoiler alert, this is a, you know, you know, 50, oh, nearly 50 year old movie. Um, he, Kowalski dies at the end. He runs yeah. right into the guard. The, they had a, a, a blockade, you know, with a couple of big bulldozers and he sees like a little bit of like light, like in between the bulldozers kind of gets fascinated with that. And of course that brought a lot of interpretation. It's like, okay, it was like, he just really high and kind of hallucinating or is it like he was seeing the next plane of existence and he's going to go there because, you know, yeah, the car wrecks and you see people digging around the car, but there's no body. Right. 
Yeah, so you're like, okay, did he move on to whatever else, kind of a metaphysical sort of thing? Or was he, like, did he hit that thing so hard and the fire was so great that, like, everything was just burnt up entirely? Yeah, Yeah, and that's, uh, it's one of those movies just that it's so great because it doesn't try and tell you one way or another. It makes you pick what you want to feel about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also an interesting thing too that this movie was remade in 1997 it was a made for TV movie um, starring Viggo Mortensen in the role of Kowalski was this when TNT was on crack for a while and like they made yeah. like, uh, yep this was a this was a TNT made for movie did um, I, I I totally guessed that are you serious it's a you're, you were a hundred percent sir yes sir see that's why you're the junior fan oh man that's, see, that's the only the time in fan. history that would make sense to me when TNT because they were trying really hard to keep Babylon five going and bless them for it I love it but yeah then they would fund like those really bizarre movies and those uh, that really weird Stephen King Salem's Lot with Rob Lowe. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense now. That makes yeah. Sense. Um, the 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 unfortunate thing about this one is that all the soul because like Cleavon Little in the original who plays the DJ Super Soul is definitely the conscience, the voice of the people. You know, the the voice of whatever message this movie's trying to get across. And he does it, of course, in just great style and great aplomb and a wonderful performance. So you you love him instantly. Yeah. Um, and then, like, when his office, you know, the radio station is attacked by a whole bunch of racists uh, because they don't like him helping out Kowalski because that's kind of becomes like a nationwide thing. Like, everybody gets fascinated with this guy trying to drive from Denver to San Francisco, you know, in 15 hours. And every cop in you know, the in between is trying to chase him, right? And because this is 1971, people don't have a lot to do. Like there's like the townspeople are gathering at the blockade, waiting for this guy to show up. Like they're selling concessions, and people right. are just hanging out, having a good old time because this is before cable TV, folks. You know, yeah. So you be like, hey, somebody's going to wreck into a you know, you know, a police blockade. Cool, let's see it. Yeah, let's go watch. Yeah. Hey, this movie called Smoking the Bands Out. Let's go see it eight times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was nothing to do. Uh, but uh, anyway, so back to the remake. So, yeah, so the remake sucks all the soul out of there. The Cleavon little character is replaced by Jason Priestley playing a disembodied voice, just called The Voice. And he kind of spiels the same stuff, except the delivery is not that great. And uh, they give Kowalski a wife, and the reason why he's running, you know, from Denver to San Francisco is because his wife is in labor with their child, and he's trying to get there. So it's like, what? Yeah. Why was he with her initially? You know, but it's like, oh, he's a race car driver. He had to do a thing. It's like, oh my no. So this is one of those movies I want riff tracks to get a hold of, just so that they can riff it and I can watch it that way. It's, because it's uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's I, I would not recommend. If you want to watch a bad movie, go watch the '97 Vanishing Point. I mean, the car is still in it; it's still a white Challenger. But it, you know, and like Carrie Lofton, who did the original stunt driving for Vanishing Point, also more famously did the stunt driving for Bullet. Uh, he was dead by this point, so it was a different stunt driver. So it just it just won the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there you go. So there's Vanishing Point. So now we'll move on to your first selection here. Yes. The 1987 vampire classic Near Dark. I like and, you, well, thank you, sir. So uh, one thing to, to uh, you use the word vampire, which is really interesting because that word never shows up in this movie. Mm-hmm. You, never, you never hear the word vampire. You never see fangs. You have absolutely no, like, there is no question of what these things are, though. And it is it, it is a fantastic Southern Gothic vampire cowboy Western horror film yeah. that is totally neglected, I think. Like, there's just, it. okay, like, to start off, like, the cast. Mm-hmm. The cast is just, it is, you got Lance Hendrickson, you've got Bill Paxton, you've got Jeanette Goldstein. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, that's her. Yeah, uh, the, the dude from Heroes, before he was in Heroes, and I forgot. Oh, his. Adrian. Um, yeah, Adrian. That guy. 
yeah, Adrian, that guy. I'm sorry, I'm terrible about my research. I'm just talking from the gut here. We, we talk about we talk about the important people though. You got Jeanette Goldstein out, right? Know? Yeah, yeah. But these yeah. these three are like this family of vampires that are just traveling around the South and, and just possibly date back to the Civil War, maybe even earlier. Yeah, possibly even earlier. Pazdar, Adrian Pazdar, yes, Adrian Pazdar, yeah, yeah. Thank Thanks, you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah dates back to the civil war one of the favorite one of my favorite lines in it is uh whenever they ask lance hendrickson how old he is and he goes let's put it this way i fought for the south we lost mm -hmm. or yeah. yeah or i fought in the war we lost or something yeah i, I, no, I think you're right i think i fought for the south and we lost we lost yeah. yeah yeah and then bill paxton in the bar like oh gosh that yeah. him just uh, yeah there's it's it's there's nothing Okay, these vampires are very brutal, but there's still that whole like kind of romantic side about it, but not in a Victorian sense. Yeah, well, yeah it's a very, very dirty, dusty movie. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very dirty, dusty movie. And uh, this, and and basically the plot is that this uh, Adrian Pazdar's character gets uh, starts hanging out with this young girl. Well, she's not really young, but you know this. This girl, you know, it's a Friday night, you know, so they're, he's about town, you know, he's a young guy, she's a pretty lady, you know, he's yep. going to try and, you know, hang out with her or whatever. Well, she bites him, and yeah, then that's just, that's the beginning of all kinds of craziness, because then he, there's this whole thing of, he gets, she pulls him in with his family, and, you know, they're, he doesn't know anything about them. They're not crazy about him being there. Mm -hmm. uh, oh man, we forgot to talk. Like, can't, haven't even mentioned Homer yet. Oh, uh, yeah. The idea of imagine a ten-year-old immortal vampire, or yeah, and is <laughs> which leads to one of the greatest exchanges with Bill Paxton that I can't repeat to keep this a family, <laughs> a, a, a family or a, a PG-rated show. Yeah, was, yeah, we're, P, we're like PG thirteen, right? But yeah, you're right. Yeah, but yeah, it. I still can't say. It. But yeah, it's it's best <laughs> if you, you'll you'll know it when you hear it. But it, it's just amazing. Like and yeah. and this movie, I, if I remember correctly, this movie actually came out the same time, or it was either a week before or a week after the Lost Boys did, and the You're Lost Boys right. just obliterated it in the box office. You know, and, and the thing is, she's like, this is a very similar plot to Lost Boys, you know, and kind of trying yeah. to, you know, the vampire genre and do something a little different with it, but you know, whereas like you know, we did you know, kind of pretty vampires in Southern California. This is dirty vampires in the desert. Like this is Arizona, you know, right. New Mexico sort of thing like that. So this is, you know, this is the, 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 the grungy, you know, older brother of, you know, right. but yeah, you're right. This did come out the exact same year that lost boys came out. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, oh another great line too. Jesse, you remember that fire we set in Chicago? Talking about the Chicago fire. Oh, and the the director. What was her name? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, Catherine, Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. Yeah, yeah, it's one of her. Yeah, one of her earliest movies, and uh, yeah, it's just before Point Break, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I actually I got the Blu-ray. I was showing George. I got the Blu-ray. I had the a special cover printed up for it with like the old school, uh, the old school video oh, store nice. label. Yeah, that's an actual sticker. The only problem is, is this is the uh, old Lionsgate Blu-ray, which okay. really suffers from disc rot. And it was skipping like crazy last time I watched it. I'm really hoping that we'll get another release of it. Yeah, well, uh, uh, we were talking about because I, I was thinking there was another version coming out to Blu-ray or 4K. I think you were saying there was a studio. Yeah, I, I think Studio Canal might have a 4K coming out. Yeah, but, uh, so it, yeah. It, yeah, but it is currently streaming on uh, Shutter. So yeah. uh, if you want to watch the streaming there, but yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Highest recommendation for that one. Definitely one of my favorite yeah. vampire movies. Yeah, yeah, but yeah you're right. I never thought about that. You, they don't say vampire in the whole yeah. movie. No. I knew there weren't any fangs. Like people get bit, and it's like it's just regular teeth, you know. Yeah, but it's yeah. still it, it's still treated like a disease. You can't get in sunlight, you know, all kind of jazz. Right. So, yeah. It, it it's it it makes sense. Like the lore and everything. There's nothing really silly or goofy about it. It's treated very what? seriously, and it's and it's got an an unconventional way that it ends. I even think too that you yeah. don't really even see coming. And uh, our, our friend Bart was actually the one that turned me on to this movie because uh, Anchor Bay released that two disc uh, DVD set back in the day oh, that was yeah. fantastic. That's still it's probably one of the best DVDs you can ever buy if you can find one still. But uh, yeah. I but think, yeah, I still got mine downstairs. Um, uh, 
I've got in the crate in the basement when I, cause you know, I haven't replaced it on Blu-ray yet. So I want to get yeah. rid of it. Um, yeah. yeah. And of course the, uh, the uh, very eerie and ethereal tangerine dream. Oh yeah. The tangent. Yeah. The t- I forgot all about that. The synth wave score from yeah. them. Oh gosh. That's yeah, true. Re- dream had a big decade with the eighties. They just, they were yeah. just, you know, score crazy and just had all kinds of iconic movies. Yeah. So, super haunting and everything. Yeah. Yeah, good, good stuff here. Well, yeah, staying movie. within the 80s here, my next movie is one I constantly champion here. Uh, I've loved this since I was a kid, but this is 1984 Streets of Fire. Yes, tonight is what it means to be young, a rock and roll fable. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is record- some cool cover art, too. I just think that I love This is always one of my favorite posters. Yeah, you just absolutely here. So. Uh, but this is directed by the legendary Walter Hill, who gave us 48 Hours, and of course, one of my all-time favorites, The Warriors. The Warriors, yes. Yeah. Uh, this Also one of my favorites, shout out to Extreme Prejudice. Oh, Love yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? While we're talking, Last Man Standing, come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, can't forget that. Love yeah, it's great Jimbo remake, yeah. Yeah, it's like we get you know, Yojimbo, and then we get, was it for a few dollars more, and then... Right. Last Man Standing. So, yeah, you know, it's the same movie three times over. So. <laughs> right. But yeah. Streets of Fire is not easily classifiable in any genre whatsoever. <clears throat> On its surface, uh, basically, the lead actor, Michael Pere, uh, comes into town to rescue his kidnapped girlfriend, played by um, uh, Ellen... Uh, God, Diane Lane. God, I can't think right now. <laughs> Played by Diane Lane, uh, who is a popular rock star, and she's playing a hometown show and is kidnapped by a bunch of thugs. Played by a baby-faced Willem Dafoe. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's like this is like one of his earliest movies, and like he is just like he's all slick back looking gangster or whatnot, but he is a baby in this movie. Uh, but yeah. Um, it also an interesting performance too. Rick Moranis is Diane Lane's manager, and he's like one of the biggest jerks in the movie. It's like the <laughs> only time he played kind of he's not a villain, but he's definitely not a nice guy. He's definitely the classic smarmy, exploitive kind of manager. Yeah. Uh, and so he's never played another role like this before. He always played nice guys or you know, goofy guys or whatever else. So like it, he but he, he killed it. Absolutely killed it here. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> John, hey, John, so you're listening where you're driving on the way to Chattacon. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, uh, check out uh, Back of the Stereo Box uh, later uh, this Saturday morning or next Saturday morning or this coming Saturday morning, I should say, uh, because Johnny will be coming to you live from Chattacon. So go all sorts of good stuff. So, of course, if folks are going to be present at Chattacon in Tennessee, then, you know, John will be there in person. You can say hey and. Talk all kinds of uh, fun stuff here, but it's kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, yeah. But again, you know, like I said, you know, the, the basic plot of all that, you know, all that, but then, you, you know, the movie looks like it's set in somewhat the 1950s, but then also has like modern day stuff. There's like 80s, you know, things. There's music videos. There's some modern technology as well. Uh, it's kind of a musical in some regards, so it's it's just all over the place. Kind of, yeah. So the ta- the rock and roll fable ta- tagline makes sense in that regard. I've never seen that movie, so like, and it's, I'm I'm learning about it now, really, from oh, you telling yeah, me about yeah. it. Yeah, so finding out that it's like this Walter Hill movie and hearing you describe, I'm, I really want to check it out. So I may even rent it tonight. Yeah, if I can. it's really cool. Um, and then of course the the soundtrack to the movie. Um, the most famous song to come from the soundtrack was the Dan Hartman 80s uh, uh, hit, I Can Dream About You. Mm-hmm. The okay. interesting thing, though, is that how it's performed in the movie is by a four-man doo-wop group led by actor-director Robert Townsend. And so they're basically mimicking the song, even though Dan Hartman is the singer and Dan Hartman is a white guy. Yeah. yeah, he, He's Canadian. Um, so, but... Yeah, there's that. Um, uh, when Diane Lane, uh, she's, of course, uh, not singing either. She's miming as well. Uh, but there are actually two different uh, women singers. 
that do the voice for Ellen Aim, her character. Basically, there's uh, Lori Sargent and Marilyn Miller, I think, or Marilyn Martin was their names. Uh, These are both singers under the employ of Jim Steinman, who basically wrote uh, the two big lead songs from the movie. Uh, They ended up not being as big a hit as I Can Dream About You, but there you go. But um, Jim Steinman, of course, you know, we know him from doing Meatloaf's, uh, you know, writing all Meatloaf's hits. You know, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, Celine Dion's all come back, it's all coming back to me now. So he likes his big dramatic pop songs. And I'll play a little bit of uh, one of the big lead songs here, Nowhere Fast from the movie. Yeah, like this is like it shows like some of the performance in there, but <laughs> need to break out the leg warmers. I know, right? <laughs> so there you go. So there's a little excerpt from that there. Uh, and I do not own the rights to that song. So just, <laughs> just to make that clear. Uh, but yeah, so like, so there's that song. Uh, Tonight is what it means to be young. as uh, another big song that Jim Simon did. Uh, but then, like, Stevie Nicks contributed a song called Sorcerer, which um, I think Marilyn Martin, the the other Ellen Ames singer, <laughs> like I said, it, it was just fascinating how they used, you know, two different women to portray one voice. And even in Nowhere Fast, when they do, like, the big chorus in there, they almost merge the background vocals with the lead vocals to basically make it sound like it's one giant powerful voice. So like Jim was doing some really amazing behind the scenes work that people like it's an incredible amount of work to do, but he was trying to make a certain sound uh, for Ellen's voice. And so there you go. Yeah. And of course, Diane Lane uh, also, I think she was like 18 or 19 when she did this film. So she's also a baby and it's kind of weird because Michael Perret is like clearly in his, you know, in his twenties. So he's, you know, a little older, you know, whatnot. And he looks a little older, you know, next to you know, next to Diane. So yeah. You know. Oh, hang on. Uh, John wants to see the poster again here. Sorry, Bub. Yeah. There we go. So yeah, there's the poster for Streets of Fire there. So yeah, just absolutely. Yeah, that looks cool. Yeah. Gotta love that one. So uh, but yeah, so like I said, it, it, it's all kinds of like, you know, all kinds of music, all sorts of action, you know, whatever else. But like, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately this did not do well at the box office because basically even like the trailer is good, but the trailer doesn't do you any favors or like this. It shows you a lot of stuff, but it's like it's this is not easily classifiable. <laughs> John says, I've never seen this movie, and now it's all I want in life. I know it sounds awesome. Like, I want to watch this tonight. Like, I, yeah, it's like it, it really is. Like, it's one of those, like, it's definitely got a hardcore uh, fan base to the people who do love it. But yeah, it, it did kind of fall through the cracks. Of course, you know, again, like I say, it was not <clears throat> easily classifiable. So then it, you know, it did do well, but there you go. So, yeah. All right. And for our final selection, your next film here. The 2012 oddity, John Dies at the End. From director Don Coscarelli, who brought you Phantasm and Bubba Bootap. Yes, and, and uh, the Beastmaster. Yeah, it's like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't leave the Beastmaster out. Like, growing up on TBS, Beastmaster, Beastmaster 1 and 2 were on constant rotation. I saw him in New York all the time, you know, just <laughs> going back and forth. But no, John Dies at the End is, it's, I... I love this movie. This is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I, I found out that it was a movie first yeah. and then found out that it was a book and read the book and loved the book. I think the second book in the series is actually the greatest literary achievement known to man. But uh, anyway, th- th- yeah, but no, the movie is this bonkers. Almost it's, it's, it's undescribable in a different way. I like, well, I don't know if it's d- different than Streets of Fire, but it's, it's almost undescribable in a way that it's t- just 
watching it, you want number one, you have to be in the right mindset for it because yeah. it's it's very it's very out there. The it's narrative weird. is linear. It's weird. Uh, I, I I will give a spoiler now. John actually dies in the middle of it, but he gets better. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, that's the kicker. Uh, yeah, but John, like John does die, but he doesn't die at the end. But he does get better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's 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 almost perfect that Don Coscarelli directed this because there's so much of the absurdity that come, the same style of absurdity that happens in the Phantasm movies happens right. in here, except yeah. that it's characters reacting to it and dealing with it in different ways. Uh, there's it's just a life of absurdity, and even like it, the movie starts out with a a really perverse take on the ship of Theseus thought exercise. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's all kinds of different ways to interpret it. And actually even in the novel, there's like three or four different versions of the novel that have different versions of that. Uh, they got published at different times. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to me, but, uh, or, <clears throat> yeah, I've, me, but, I've only read, I've only read uh, the original John dies at the end. I haven't read any of the other books. Yeah. The, I've read the second and third book. I'm saving the fourth book because I don't want to not have it to read. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, the second book is amazing. The third book is really good too, but no, the second book is fantastic. And the, the, now the movie only covers the first half of the book too. Oh. Uh, and yeah. And there's actually, like, there's some pretty, there's even more out there stuff in the book, obviously, but some mm-hmm. of the, some of the some of the stuff with John dies at the end of the movie part, even in the middle, it does kind of sag a little bit. Yeah. Just trying to trying to get the narrative to where it needs to be. But luckily, Clancy Brown shows up to yeah. fix things. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Like Clancy Brown, just his character just pops up to take care of shit or stuff. And yeah. uh yeah, and, and, and Paul Giamatti, of course, also. Oh know, yeah, Paul Giamatti's character in it. Uh, just he is a reporter, aren't, uh, trying to figure, trying to talk to David Wong and figure out what is going on in this crazy man's life. Mm-hmm. And there's he's got this buddy named John who, you know, there's all kinds of bizarre paranormal things going on in their town, and they're aware of it because they're slacker drug addicts. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. Pe- and they would tell you that they're the worst people to be able to see these things. And it's, uh, but they still handle it in a, they, they have this weird talent for handling it. Even. Yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, it's like if you're a fan of the supernatural shows, like they're like the loser Winchester brothers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if they had no real discernible talent for monster hunting or combat or anything and yeah there you go yeah <laughs> uh no stanley tucci is not the movie john uh but it is a great movie though oh doug jones is though doug jones yes, is doug actually doug jones is in, in a non-makeup role even yes a rare yeah. you actually get to see doug jones's face yes in the movie, so oh and uh, angus scrim is actually that's his last movie yeah, uh, that's right i completely forgot yeah. angus's movie yeah there yeah. you go before, and the nice cost really uh yeah and, yeah and, and i like that our, kind of our MacGuffin in this is of course you see the syringe there with the brown liquid in there it's basically yeah we never quite find out what this corrupting substance is but it's referred to colloquially as soy sauce yeah but yeah whatever it is it unlocks unleashes you know whatever but yeah this is like there's definitely like like some demonology some supernatural sort of stuff in there but cosmic horror is a big thing with it yeah Uh, it's it's not quite yeah i mean there it doesn't go so far as to talk about cthulhu like you know in the cosmos but there's like there's really heady things that like some of these characters, like in these absurd situations, they talk about these really heavy and deep philosophical concepts and they just kind of make you sit with them for a minute and yeah. just be like, okay. And I, I just saw that. And, you know, and then there's a phallic joke that just <laughs> happened two seconds before, but and, and let's not forget the meat monster. Oh no, you can't forget the meat monster. <laughs> Yes, it's, basically with a, a demon that forms like like literally like a, a freezer opens up and like all these like sides of beef and hams yeah. and steaks or whatever else form sausages into, like sausages just, yeah. just form into this beast and then like you know you know David and John have to fight a meat monster yeah yeah so after and, and a girl ex- after a girl explodes into snakes oh yes yeah that's right yeah yeah 
Yeah. So, yeah, okay. and that is literally what happens. Yeah. A girl explodes into snakes. Explodes into snakes. Yeah. 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 So see, we told you this is you know yeah it's weird stuff yeah. Here. Yeah, and I love too that basically you know Dave, the the lead character is David Wong. That's also the name of the author of all these books. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like, is this stuff autobiographical? <laughs> what sort of life is this guy living here? You know? Yeah. So that's kind of the whole conceit of the books themselves. Like, could this as stuff actually exist in the cracks of society? It's like, you know, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely like X Files, supernatural. You know, a lot of like, you know weird comedy kind of thrown in there so yeah not, not, not so much the highbrow like you know what we do in the shadows sort of stuff like that kind of like a little lower end yeah it was <laughs> pretty lower end yeah <laughs> uh let's see wasn't there a teenage rom-com released around the same time with a similar title i uh, i don't know i i, I, I don't very... there there was the win a date with Tad Hamilton. Yeah, I went a date with Tad Hamilton. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember a teenage rom com named John Dies at the End. Or not not even similar. There's John Tucker must die. There you go. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's it. You're right. Okay, yeah. I don't know why that popped into my head. I'm thinking it was just like movies with die and John and uh, <laughs> uh, huh. Again, yeah. see, this is why you're the junior fan. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, but yeah, okay, so there you go. John Tucker must die. There you are, Johnny. Yeah. So Yeah, but that one's more of like a jilted lover uh, sort of thing like that. And yeah. I, I've never seen it before, but if I remember the trailer correctly, that's what it did. Yeah. Yeah, don't watch the John Dies at the end trailer because it will make no sense and it will actually spoil things that you don't, yeah. Yeah. Just experience it organically. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, the, I mean, it's not, a, it wasn't a great trick because again, you know, sometimes with the weird stuff and, you know, you, sometimes people who aren't associated with your movie cut the trailer and they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You know, occasionally you get the benefit of like a lead editor when the associate editors cuts a trailer. So then there's like, okay, well they're involved in the movie. They know what's up. So that's how sometimes you get wonderful trailers, sometimes trailers that could possibly be nominated for awards or win awards if they did that. Yeah. Because you have people who know what they're talking about being involved in it. Then, Yeah. Instead of just having a trailer that tells you the entire plot of the movie or gives you major reveals in the thing or, you know, yeah. Or you get like, you know, a good, for instance, the Disney John Carter uh, trailer, which was made by people who weren't involved in the film, had no idea who John Carter was, the legacy of that character, and basically said, hey, is this look like Star Wars in the desert? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's still a sore spot, because I enjoy that movie, despite Disney's best efforts to tank that thing, but yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's a good movie. So, yeah. good, fun adventure. Even if you aren't a fan of the John Carter of Mars uh, book series or the Deja Taurus kind of stuff like that. It's a great old school kind of adventure film. So that's, that's how exactly how I feel about the Lone Ranger movie with uh, Army Hammer and Johnny Depp. I never got to see that one. I, I was I kind of wanted to. I saw like little bits of it, but I never have seen it all the way through. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I I mean, obviously now like there's a lot of stuff that's come out about both actors and everything, but this is yeah. a, a film by itself. Like you know, I I enjoyed it. I yeah. I had a it, oddly enough, uh, oddly enough, uh, the Lone Ranger movie is not streaming on Disney Plus, but all the Pirates movies are. So I guess we don't hate Johnny Depp, but the combination of Johnny Depp and Army, well, I'm going to hammer. Case hammer you yeah, know, it's too mm. much. Huh? Yeah. Oh, and Johnny's saying that he's agreeing with us. This fantastic movie that was literally sabotaged by piss poor marketing. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing is that there is there was a regime change at the time at Disney, so the people who basically were kicked out of the leadership roles at Disney were behind John Carter, and the new folks came in and said, "What's this?" Right. So, a matter of fact, it, the there was it's, I'm sure it's still on YouTube, but there was a fan made trailer for John Carter that really explores the legacy of the character and how basically things like Star Wars and Dune and all this other stuff that came afterwards were inspired by John Carter of Mars 
And, you know, so like this was kind of the first big kind of hero like that. And all these other dudes read those books and said, oh, hey, let's make a movie about a kid in space with a laser sword. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's, again, just, you know, wonderful movie, terrible marketing. So it's on Disney Plus right now. So go stream John Carter. It's an enjoyable flick. You can watch it with the kids, you know. You know, bring your crusty old grandpa who hasn't read the books in years, <laughs> but he did, and he he enjoyed the movie too. So, yeah, lots of fun. But not me. I'm going to watch Streets of Fire tonight. Yeah, yeah go watch Streets of Fire, man. It's <laughs> I, I'm you, you, you will text me later and say thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, and the, the soundtrack is uh, streaming on all of uh, platforms where you stream music. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, Nowhere Fast has uh, always been in my uh, playlist. That's uh, it's a very dramatic, uh, very, very 80s song. But, man, I tell you what, it's, yeah, it works. Okay. As the kids say, it slaps. <laughs> Anywho, I think that about wraps it up for us this week here. We've we've discussed lots of good stuff here. and uh, Yes, we have. Opened some minds, perhaps, some new experiences <laughs> and whatnot. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us here once again. And Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad your stuff was working this time. So Yeah, yeah. I have uh, I have a new way to do it now. So, yeah. Well, good. Yeah. You, you look good and sound good there. So, yeah. <laughs> Dad says, crusty old grandpa watched the movie and read your copy of the book. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went out and bought a copy of John Carter of Mars after the movie came out. And yeah, Dad, I think Dad stole my copy. He may still have it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where he lives. So, yeah. Yeah, it ain't your big deal. So, <laughs> anyway, so you all have yourselves a wonderful weekend and a wonderful week out there. And we will see you next time on the Fanatic Forum, folks. So, y'all take care now. Bye. Bye.